0: I think every week uh, that I stand up here, and Daniel, we're talking about another text that people like to criticize in Daniel, and uh, and so far I think we've seen uh, time and time again that the the criticisms fall by the wayside. Um, well, Daniel, well, Daniel can't be inspired by God because of this, and Daniel can't. And every time we see archaeology or some something proves uh, that that Daniel was. Right on. Every chapter is assaulted by critics somewhere. Uh, and, and we find that these aren't just, this book isn't just valuable to show uh, God's amazingness to predict things, uh, but, but these are uh, things that give us lessons in our lives. And I hope that, 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 is, uh, that those two things uh, at the end of this series, which we're drawing closer to, will be something that we take from it. Uh, as we, we get into today's chapter, uh, in Daniel chapter 9, we're going to be going through the, the end of chapter 9. Uh, it's probably the most important prophecy of Daniel. It's a, a relatively short one, uh, but, but it is the most significant in, in its topic. Some of them are more detailed, maybe, and, um, uh, but this one is amazing because of its content. Someone wrote in Dan about Daniel. There's a problem with Daniel. Um, he said that he knows too much about the 2nd century to be written in the 6th century, B.C., uh, but he also knows too much about the 6th century to be written in the 2nd century. And that's the problem that people have. A lot of people, um, Daniel is, is this guy that, that he's, he predicts things so accurately. Of course, people don't want to accept that. His predictions about what's going on Two hundred years before Christ, they 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 assume that that can't be inspired. There's too many details that are that are spot on. So he must have lived later. And the problem is, is that over the course of history, we we lose details, right? And and I mean, what we know about four hundred years ago is, I mean, even with our amazing information, just there's a lot of information. That's been lost. Think about your... I mean, some of you might have done... Uh, my, my, I have an aunt who is very into genealogies. She loves genealogies. I am always hearing about our genealogies, and I know pr- pretty much everybody that we're related to for about 250, 300 years. That's about as far back as she can go. And she can go sideways a long way, so we, we know every person we're related to that way. But you just lose information. And so, so someone said, Well, Daniel... For For a person writing in two hundred he knows too many details about Babylon he knows too many details about Persia that that we 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 couldn't know uh so so it's kind of interesting uh the problem in daniel today's text, as I say, is the most important because it's going to cover events um, that even occur after the second century. So those who say, well, he must have written in the second century, well, the problem there is that Daniel is going to cover events that occur two hundred years after that. So even if you said, well Daniel's written in the, the second century BC, I mean he still makes this incredible prediction and, and it's still something that goes right down to the very to the very year. It is so so detailed and so amazing. Not even the most liberal of scholars will assume that that Daniel was living around the time of Christ, or after the time of Christ. No one would assume that. There's, there's too much evidence to the contrary. However, it gives accurate details of that time period. It is my favorite uh, prophecy in this book, and, and that's because it's the most important, as I said. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 17. We're backing up just a little bit, uh, because... I just want to get a little context here. He says, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant in his supplication, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear, and hear, open your eyes, and see the desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, But because of your great mercies, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, an angel he's referencing, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, was caused to fly swiftly, reaching me at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. And for your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and then 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again in a wall even in Troublesome times, And then after that, 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And for the people of the prince who is to come, he shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be with a flood and the end of war. Desolations are determined, for he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of that week he will make an end to sacrifice and offering. And the wing of abominations shall be on the wing of abominations shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined and is poured out on the desolate. Well, we're gonna get into some of those details because these are awesome, awesome details. But before we get there, I want to consider something. When we, when we look at God, and, 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 and we look at Daniel's response here, Daniel's response to angels is our, our response, and, and we'll even see that even more clearly as we go on. It Daniel is scared of angels. People talk about, oh, I'd love to see an angel. I wouldn't. I, I, I see the reaction of everybody who ever sees an angel, and they don't look too thrilled to see them. I, I'm, I'm kind of good. We, we see them as so high above us, right? A friend of mine, his name is Joel, um, I was raised in Massachusetts, so he was always a Red Sox man. And uh, He was talking about uh, a, a time where he went down, he had a, a business meeting, and they were having a seminar, and so all the bigwigs decided to have it in Tampa Bay. Uh, a lot of golf courses and a lot of things down there, nice resorts, and so he was down there. Uh, it, was, it was like April or something to that effect, and. Um, Well, while he was down there, he he gets in, after the business meetings, they get into the elevator to to go down to the golf courses and stuff, and he gets into the elevator with George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, the hated enemy. And I'm listening to him tell the story. Now, I was always a Yankees fan. And I'm listening to him tell the story, and, and his tone of voice, his you could just tell that this group of guys, you know, all these Red Sox fans, were in this, in this elevator like a bunch of giggly schoolgirls. With a guy that they don't like. Why? Because they perceive him as above them. And, and, and all of a sudden, the attitude changes. Like, wow, we're in, we're in the same elevator with George Steinbrenner. You, know, you can just kind of hear that in, in, his, in his way he's telling the story. Because it's so high above, it is this perception that is so high above, it just changes your demeanor. And we see that on an even greater level. That, that we see Daniel, a, a great man, not that he's opposed to angels, but, but this, this attitude of, of being near somebody so much greater, and it just causes them to change their entire countenance, as it says in the scriptures numerous times. His countenance changed. They don't even have the, the ability to stand on their feet. Now, I say all this before we get into the details because this is, there's something in here. And, and, and my friend was telling me, oh, yeah, he's really conversational. He's really nice and stuff. And, and we, got him to ask, we asked him to, to say, You're fired. You know? And he said, Oh, yeah, you're fired. You know? <laughs> um, but Daniel in verse, uh, the angel in verse 22 says a couple of things. Well, verse 22 He says that you informed me and, and talked with me it, Just imagine conversing I mean, that would be the kind of interesting Maybe after you get over your shock And you're kind of Maybe not quite as nervous you, you, you look and you're talking And conversing with an angel and the angel is engaging Daniel on an intellectual level. We have these pictures of angels, and I don't know if they're accurate. The way we think they're just kind of flitting around and doing whatever they do. And the angel is just conversing with them, and just on an intellectual level. That would be amazing. But in verse 23, there's a, there's a perspective that I don't think that we We get. Verse 23, he says, At the beginning of your supplications, this is the angel talking to Daniel, he says, The command went out, and I have come to tell you, because you are greatly loved. Do you ever think of an angel having a positive... um, I know we talk about our guardian angels, and it's almost like a mythological thing we talk about. But the angel comes to him and says, You are greatly loved. Do you think of, we think of all the the impressive things that they must have to do? What's on their docket for the day? An angel gets up and, and it has some really serious matters to take care of in the universe, and we're going to see that in some of the later chapters. And yet, they have the time to have a positive emotional awareness of us—that we are greatly loved. That's powerful. And because of that, he leads into this explanation. And so I want to look at this vision. It is a vision of love. All of this is a vision of love and we will see it. So let's look at the scope of the vision first of all. There's 70 weeks, and it's divided up. He says there's first going to be this period of seven weeks. That's not the main part part of this this passage. And then he goes into a, a section of 62 years, or excuse me, 62 weeks. Uh, and then and then there's going to be a final week, and that brings it to a total of 70. And and that last one is going to kind of uh, is going to be divided up. Now before we get into what that means I want to I hold my place, and I want to go into and we've we referenced this, and I want to look at what this is talking about, uh, because in, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel gives us kind of a, a key to understand prophecy. Prophetic numbers are symbolic. they're not necessarily literal. Sometimes they're literal. Uh, we kind of have to gauge that by, by context. But in Ezekiel, uh, chapter four. <clears throat> and we're going to read verses 4 through 6. Ezekiel 4, 4 through 6. He says, he, and so God is telling Ezekiel here to prophesy. He says, lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of days, 390. So you will bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed them, lie on your right side, for you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel for forty days. I have laid on you a day for a year. So they were going to suffer a period of years of suffering. And, and so Ezekiel was asked to symbolize this, because he's obviously not going to be around to do this Prophecy for 400 years He was going to symbolize it in days So he's a day for a year and so, so that forms One of the keys of understanding prophecy Is that God symbolizes things a day for a year Quite frequently Well if we looked at that If we apply that key Then we're going to come up with a very interesting number And that would be 490 There's 70 weeks A, a week has 7 days and so this would be a period of 490 years that we're looking at symbolically, not a period of a year and a half or a year and a couple of months or whatever it is. Because he says this is going to be tied to the, to the building of the temple or the command to, to, uh, to build this temple. Well, that's obviously going to be something that, that isn't done in a year. There's going to be all these events that are even beyond the building of the temple. So let's look at the purpose of this prophecy. We're going to look at some of the things. Excuse me. Throughout this text in Daniel 9, the purpose of these events. What what is the purpose of this prophecy? He says, well, first of all, it's going to be, some of the goals of this period, whatever it is, is going to be to seal up the vision and the prophet. In other words, um, Sometimes things look unsure. Right? Even, even we can have confidence in the Bible. You have confidence in the Bible, and you have confidence that there's going to be this great victory at the end, and there's, there's confidence in God. And then we, we sometimes are like this guy that Jesus spoke with and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? And, and so, so God is assuring us here that He's going to seal this up These things are going to happen Whatever he's talking about is going to happen He's going to seal up the vision He's going to make sure Daniel's message comes true I'm going to seal it up Trust me and That's the overall purpose of this passage But what significant things and what events He says to anoint the most holy Well the most holy what? What? There's a lot of holy things. Some people interpret this to be... I mean, there's, no, there's no object here stated, the most holy. Some people believe that this is referencing the, the holy place of the temple because there's, there's this connection to rebuilding the temple. But as we read this passage, it becomes quite clear that he's talking about a person, not a place. He talks about the prince and the messiah. And over and over in here That's the most holy The most holy person The most holy one He says to make an end of sin and sacrifice So this clearly confirms that we're not talking about anything to do with the temple Because the temple and the sacrifices of the temple never ended sin The New Testament is clear on that. Hebrews is quite clear that that that's why they had sacrifices every day was because they never ended sin. They They never made perfect atonement. So this is not about the temple or the holy place. The daily sacrifices had to be continued because they never accomplished the purpose. The Messiah was going to do that. And finally, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, we know that that wasn't connected to anything to do with the Old Testament. Romans tells us that. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the righteous requirement could not be fulfilled through the law. It was incapable of doing that. That had to come through the Messiah. So we are talking about things to do with the Messiah, the 70-year period. So let's look at the events of the 62 weeks. Um... We're going to come back to the seven-week period in just a second. As I said, it's not the most important thing. It's, it's something that leads up to these, these more important years that lead up to the Messiah. He talks about a continual rebuilding. He says it's, uh, it's going to be sporadic. It's going to, it's, going to be this, this, it's going to continue to build, but in troubled times, he writes. Um, And that is, I mean, we've already gone through Daniel and we've seen the succession of these kingdoms and we've seen Greece and we've talked about that Antiochus Epiphanes guy and we're going to talk about him some more. Um, And and all the the problems that they had and then Rome is going to come after that. We've talked about all these awful things and yet during this period, Jerusalem is going to be built up, leading up to the Messiah And then comes that final week. This is the most important week. That final week that's divided into two halves, which would be, again, if we were talking about a day day for a year, we're talking about a a three-and-a-half-year period, and then another three-and-a-half-year period. That's going to be very, very, very interesting. And he says that division is going to be where the Messiah is cut off. Is obviously a reference to his death. It even indicates the approximate time frame here. And we're going to look at that and see how accurate that is. But he says, he's going to be cut off, but not for himself. See, the, the Jews had the idea that the Messiah was going to come uh, for, for bringing in this, uh, this nation of Israel that was going to rise up and throw off all these other kingdoms. And that was never God's intention. They didn't understand what God's doing. And and God is telling them, He's telling Daniel, the Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for Himself. He's he's going to die, and it's going to have a purpose. He's not going to be the target of the death, in other words. Some people might be targeting Him, but, but the purpose of Jesus' death is going to be for other people. Wow. All these ideas would go directly against anything that Daniel or any other Jew could imagine. But this is prophecy. And it says that he will confirm a covenant with many. Hmm. Concept of a new covenant. We just celebrated communion. And Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. When he sits in that upper room celebrating that for the very first time. All of these ideas are are wrapped up in this moment. Then there's the after period. There's an aftershock, I guess. After that week in which he's confirming the, the covenant with the many... There's this undisclosed period of time He says it's going to gonna be like a flood Which is always symbolic of war In fact, he specifically mentions war He says the people of a prince Are going to come and destroy The holy place The temple Multiple and increasing desolations are coming We, we talked about the abomination and desolations I'm not sure if you're counting But that, this, we're up to like four now <laughs> There's not just one of them uh, and in fact Jesus says when you see the one that was spoken of by Daniel Run to the hills Don't, don't go into your house to get, grab your coat Don't do anything and Run to the hills Daniel was predicting yet another one there's, always been, there, there's already been one under Babylon There's been one under Persia There's going to be one under uh, Greece And then there's going to be one Actually no, excuse me, there was not one under Persia Persia was the only nation that told them to build the temple uh, but under, under Babylon, under Greece, and then under Rome, there's going to be another one. So, he says, that if following that war, there's going to be an overspreading. Which is, it's going to come on the wings. There's this overspreading desolation of sacrifices that will last and last and last until the consummation. I don't know if that means until... God comes back. If it does, then that would be an amazing prediction because the Jews still don't have a temple. In the spot where the temple was is a Muslim mosque. Ain't no sacrifices going on there. It's called the Dome of the Rock Mosque. And since it's been destroyed... There has been no sacrifices. And that's exactly what Daniel pictures. So let's get to the fulfillment because this is incredible. There are four commands to rebuild the temple. And we've got to pick one of them if we're looking at a 490-year period. In 536 B.C., after, that was that first year, there was a or, or excuse me, the second year, there was a year where, uh, I uh, forget the name of the guy, it was... Uh, Cyrus's like uncle or whatever was was the the king and or cousin, and then uh, uh, that was Darius <clears throat> the Mede and, and then and then Cyrus took over and and in his first year he commands Zerubbabel to return and rebuild the temple. Well, Zerubbabel went back and laid the foundations, and we know that story. And then, and then things kind of got interrupted. So. It just kind of got put on pause. And uh, Darius had a what ends up being a third cousin. Or excuse me, Cyrus has a third cousin whose name is Darius also. Darius the Great. He reinstates the construction in 520. But it's just the temple. He just says, go and finish the temple. In 457 BC, a guy by the name of Artaxerxes, or Ahasuerus, depending on your name of, of history, this would be Esther, the, the book of Esther. This is her husband, the king of Persia. He sends Ezra and, uh, to go and to build the city, finish the temple, because it still wasn't done, and the wall. And then there's one more. In 444 BC, the same... sends Nehemiah uh, to finish the wall that had been started but not finished. Well, this passage in Daniel talks about the the order to go and rebuild everything. There's only one order that was told to rebuild everything and that was the third one, 457 BC. Well, we have a starting point And we have a time frame, 490 years. So let's unfold some history. Um, Well, the first 49 years, we don't know. History doesn't record. This is one of those things that I say, in time, history forgets some details. We don't know. Uh, But that would lead us to the end of that first period, not really important for us, to 408 B.C. That would be when, when when the thing was... Finish that, that temple that particular temple or in that particular city in construction but then we get to this next period if we go all the way forward we would arrive at the beginning of Daniel's final week in the year 26 AD Did anything happen in 26 AD that you can think of well let's look at some history in the story, in in Jesus, in Jesus, John chapter 2, Jesus comes to the temple the first time under his ministry. He's been baptized by John in Jordan, and he, he begins his ministry. Uh, he goes up into the mountain, and we know the temptations, and he, he goes and he uh, selects his disciples, so there's some events happening before he gets to the temple. And he comes into the temple and the first thing he says is, you can destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about his body. They thought he was talking about the temple. And they said, uh, Herod built it. This thing has taken 46 years to build and you're going to destroy it and rebuild it. That's an important thing to include. That's an important number to include because we do know from history, from secular history, When Herod started it. He started it in the year 19 B.C. We can do some simple math. 46 years, that would take us to 27 A.D. The first Passover in the spring. If we back up and allow for those events that we just mentioned, the, the, the miracle at Cana, and some the, the process of selecting disciples, we would come back to the year 26 AD, late 26 AD, when Jesus was baptized in Jordan. And we talk about the anointing, that, that period, that last week, is the anointing of the Holy One. What happened at the baptism of Jesus? A dove. Of fire comes down and it rests on Jesus, and a voice comes out that's the Holy Spirit, and a voice comes out from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And Jesus begins his ministry in 26 AD, exactly when Jesus said it was going to happen. There were four Passovers. That Jesus had. So we start counting. So he begins. There's a half year period to that first Passover from late 26 to 27. One, two, three. Three and a half years more. And what happens at that fourth Passover? The Messiah is cut off, but not for himself. In the process of confirming this covenant, he's cut off. Exactly when Daniel says it was going to happen. To the year. To the very Passover when Daniel said it was going to happen. These things don't happen by accident. This is so amazing. Well, what about this other three and a half years? Because Jesus leaves. But what's the point of that final week was to confirm a covenant with many we were in, in Ephesians class this morning talking about how how God was breaking down the walls between groups and, and and at that beginning it was just for Jews well something happens three and a half years later approximately see see, for about three and a half years as we, we read that story of Acts and, and through the first couple of chapters after Jesus returns and, and, and leaves things to his apostles they stay in Jerusalem. And then, and the Bible doesn't record the exact year, but I, I think we would probably find it to be about three and a half years later, Stephen is stoned. It's right in that same time frame. It's a little bit before Paul is converted. And we know that uh, people have done a number of chronologies and find there was in that same time frame about three and a half years later that persecution begins and what happens when persecution begins and Paul starts chasing people they start running all over and the gospel leaves Jerusalem and it starts finding Gentiles and the covenant is confirmed with many not just with this one group but with the many this is Daniel 9. The most impressive prophecy to me in our entire Old Testament. And there's no temple. Because there doesn't need to be a temple. Because Christ has changed the structure. He's changed everything. He's made it for everybody. It's not for Jew. In Jerusalem, he's, he's made it for everybody, and so this is where I want to end up. Not just for you to be awed by the amazingness of of, of prophecy to to help you give confidence. That's a, if that's what you walked away with. That would be great. If you walk away with a confidence in this book that it means. So much. And, and God says, listen, you can trust the things I tell you because when I tell you something's going to happen, it happens. There is amazing foresight, not just of dates and times and events, but ways to live. The, 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 the God that says I'm going to tell you what's going to happen I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen and here's a Satan uh, he doesn't want it to happen he's going to try to prevent it and he can't do it and I'm going to tell you that 490 years ahead of time and he still won't be able to prevent it that's the God I serve but Daniel what did he say things are going to continue to build in Jerusalem. That that very first period, He said, even in troublesome times. God is doing something, and, and He can still accomplish that in troublesome times. We look at our world and we go, man, there's some troublesome times. Yes. But I serve a God that is bigger than troublesome times. We serve a God that is bigger than troublesome times. Christ came to confirm a covenant and there was not a force not the mighty pagan Roman Empire was going to stop him but there's something that's interesting he was only here for half of it Christ was going to confirm the covenant but, but how did, did he fail He was only here for half of it. So how did Christ confirm the covenant with the many when He was only here for the half of that week? The half of that seven years? He was only here for three and a half of it. Because God has the ability to work through proxy. If something goes wrong at the place of work where you are, who gets the blame? It goes up the chain, doesn't it? When the the district manager comes and and, and says, what's going on here? He doesn't go to the janitor and say, hey, what's going on here? He wants to know up top what's going on here. Because there's an idea of proxy. God is still in charge of what's going on, even if he's not physically walking around and sitting in our church building. God is still in charge and he works through proxy and and he worked through proxy with his apostles. He says, I'm confirming the covenant with the many. You're going to be the ones that do it. You've been with me. You're going to finish it. Opposition will come, times of peace will come. You can't control your surroundings. What we can control is that God is still working. And is asking us to be the proxy. I am still here to grow things and to work things that God wants worked. He has that ability. He's still in charge. He's still powerful. God is building. But He's just using my hands. It's still Him doing it. But I've got to trust in this to do it. I've got to trust everything in here I pray that as you leave That that you are affected in a number of ways To be impressed by God To be awed at, At God's Amazing greatness Not just Because of his ability to predict things And make those things come true But to be awed at the fact that while we're down here and we think we're alone, God says, you are greatly loved. You're greatly loved. Someone up there somewhere is thinking about you. Maybe more people than you know. Angels are thinking about you and saying, you are greatly loved. You're not alone. We're doing things up here. Please do things down here. You're being watched out for there is concern for you and whatever struggles and whatever things you have in your day that are difficult you are greatly loved and that was the purpose of this entire vision was love that God set aside and said I am working this plan for love if you want to know more about that love. And this is the time to do it. If you have questioned about whether you are loved and do not know if you are loved. This is the time. People want to share love with you. and God wants to share His love with you. In turn we can turn in Share that with other people.